are listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how you doing, mate? All is well. All is well. Um, good to be chatting with you today. Yeah, it is. We're going to be talking about one of our favorite topics. Um, well, being uh, manufacturing marketing writ large, or are you getting more specific than that? <laughs> I think the delving into uh, the value and and uh, of e-commerce and and where it fits in a in a manufacturer's mix hmm. in terms of uh, you know how it's going to go to market is a, it's a pretty interesting and near and dear topic to our hearts. Yeah, and it is a. I think it's fair to say that it's an area that a lot of manufacturers struggle with. Um, so uh, I think, uh, yeah, I'm excited for today's conversation as well. Let's get it going. Me too. So, all right, let's do it. So, joining us today is Chris Harrington. Chris is the president and COO of Gen Alpha Technologies. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Chris. Hey guys, thank you for having me. Great to be here. Uh, wonderful to talk to your audience today. Love sharing my experience. So. Uh, interested in having a great discussion. That's awesome to have you on the show, Chris. And um, and just so for our, uh, for our listeners who don't know, Gen Alpha is really e-commerce for manufacturers. But uh, look, I'm sure you're going to, to do a better job of explaining it than uh, than I. So why don't you give our folks a, a bit of an intro to to Gen Alpha? Yeah. So um, you know, Gen Alpha is a software company. We got our start back in 2011 uh, as founders with experience in the manufacturing industry and specifically heavy equipment for the mining industry, we understood the challenges equipment owners face in identifying and ordering parts to keep their equipment running. And we believe there was an easier way. So to solve this problem, we used our experience to create an intuitive e-commerce platform designed for organizations who sell and support equipment. Um, one thing that makes us unique is that we reuse engineering 2D and 3D drawings and bills of material to create an interactive e-catalog so that equipment owners can easily and safely identify what they're looking for, um, add it to their shopping cart for easy quote and order creation. So we really like to say that we equip manufacturers, distributors, and dealers with the tools, the information, and the services they need to sell online. That's what we do. And it's really from the point of view of this, um, like, uh, like kind of just hard to find parts and find, and basically structuring the information in a way that you have many kind of on ramps into it, isn't it? That's right. So you know, um, I like to say that people come to an online store with what they have or what they know. And oftentimes that can be, uh, if they're lucky enough, they actually know the part number. So if somebody's been around a piece of equipment or uh, some consumables for a long time, often they know that SKU right up in their head and they're going to search by that SKU. But so often, especially as we think internationally as equipment operates, um, people don't know that SKU. They may know that it goes into a piece of equipment and that equipment has a serial number. It might have a model number, a year, might have a VIN, something that is that unique identifier that they will know that really gets them to a safe piece of equipment that then they can start searching within that equipment for the thing that 
that they need. And that might be an assembly. Uh, it could be a structural area of, you know, if you think about an undercarriage or a cab or some area, and then they just keep refining what they know. And this is the way for so many years, uh, customer service departments, uh, technical service departments supported customers in helping them identify the right part number to order for their regular maintenance or because a machine is down, right? So we have to translate that now today into what is the thing that they're gonna know when they come to your, your website that's gonna start the process of ensuring that they safely have the piece of uh, the part number or the piece of equipment that they're gonna be maintaining that they're, they're picking up the right materials. So um, again, vendor numbers, there's so many different things. As we think about the way Canadians say some things and we in the US call other things, you know, we have to think about all of those terms that, uh, you know, I, I was using an example the other day, some might call it a spare tire, some call it a wheel, um, you know, some call it a spare, you know, they don't even use the word tire. So when you're saying spare, will somebody know what you're talking about, right? So adding all of those little things to make that search easier, this is what we uh, are challenged with in manufacturing uh, distribution, you know, dealers when they're really selling to their market. Now, the good news is to Canadianize it, you just need to add A about a. every <laughs> sixth or seventh word. But it is a real niche. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's not a lot of us. Um, but the look, I, Chris, I'm, I, as you're telling me this, I'm like, it's uh, it's a wonder you even have time to talk to us, frankly, because I, it seems like to me that there's just a, such a huge need uh, for this. Um, you know, we see it daily in the manufacturers that we speak with and, and interview on this show, and. Um, and, and have the pleasure to work with. So it just makes um, it just makes a ton of sense to me. But I guess I also know that um, you know manufacturers are challenged uh, to move into e-commerce, and and I think one of the reasons that often comes up, and I think connects to this in some way, is the notion of of, of channel conflict and how to um, how, how that stands in their way, especially when it comes to to this types of uh, these types of um, uh, parts manufacturer, et cetera. Uh, uh, I guess how do you uh, how do you help people kind of navigate that and move through that? Yeah, I, I think the first thing is uh, realizing that you have to do something. So a lot of it is just drawing awareness to what is changing that's going to create a change in, in, in the first place. Um, because many manufacturers have uh, really not even engaged in the conversation, thinking that their distribution network is responsible for those downstream activities and leaving it up to them uh, to solve this problem, which, which isn't really the right way to do it as well. So first, you know, we're engaging in in helping them understand what's changing that's going to create this uh, need for you to do something about this. And I think once we do that, the next step is really communication. I think the best 
companies out there that are doing this. And, and the good news is retail had to face this, right? So retail has had to overcome this. They've gone through the challenges of these things. So we know it, it can happen, but the, it's communication with your distribution network or that dealer network to start opening the doors to say, how are we gonna ensure that we're relevant in the future and we don't lose market share as we go, because that's really what the risk is. It might not even be overwhelmingly here yet. So you're you're planning for something that you're anticipating to, to happen in the future. So how do you get started now? Because when we talk about um, search and finding parts online, there's so much work to be done to, to digitize, right? the information's in disparate locations uh, all throughout a company. If, if you're a part of a manufacturing organization who has acquired any businesses over the last few years, and we know there's been a lot of consolidation in manufacturing, um, you've got manufacturing locations all over the world. You've got ERPs that, you know, multiple ERP systems. So there's a lot of um, already challenge in just doing business with them with a manufacturer and, and having one voice to the market. So now, how do you ensure that through your distribution and your in your dealer network, you, you're you're maintaining all of that? So I think it starts with breaking down the communication that needs to happen between uh, the manufacturer and their distribution network. They both have to be in agreement that they still provide value in the value chain to the customer. So in that supply chain that does reach the end user, there's value not just today, but in the future. And how are we going to highlight the value that each brings? Um, so, so I think that communication is really the initial step. You know, some people have dealer councils, they have uh, larger dealers and then some smaller dealers. And I find that when you get some dealers on board, then others will follow. And, and it's really for manufacturers, they've, they've got to find a way that the, the dealers are going to be compensated in this process as well. That's as I said, is it just boiled down to kind of still continuing to give them their piece? Um, and, and whether or not they, ha they end up handling the end product? Uh, it can. Um, you know, it, it can be that, um, you know, and I think it depends on the, on the manufacturing organization and their distribution network, right? If, if you have a very good and loyal distribution network that has done well by you, then you're going to want to leverage that and certainly ensure that they have their piece. And I think it's important to highlight, um, again, the great value that each brings. So manufacturers traditionally were really responsible for engineering and designing a great brand, a great piece of equipment, and the, the distribution network sold it, maintained it, uh, and provided all those aftermarket services. If, if we as owners of equipment are are now in a self-service industry or, or in a self-service buying mode where we're gonna go online and um, identify what we need if we're do-it-yourselfers and we're gonna do our own repair work. 
um, we are only going to think about the brand that we own. We're not thinking about all those little small dealers anymore when we just want to order an oil change kit, right? So we do think about that brand and, and we, we know I own a John Deere, I own a Polaris, right? So I'm going to go back to that original equipment manufacturer and making it easy for me to identify my oil, oil change kit and buy it is really important. And what the manufacturing do, manufacturer does to compensate the dealer when I just want to order parts, that should be left up to that manufacturer and dealer, but an easy experience for me. And that's really what, what we're talking about here. Now, at the same time, if I need some service work on my John Deere or my Polaris, something that I can't um, do myself, I would expect that dealer to be available to support me. And in those circumstances, I definitely want to know they're there. I'm also uh, uh, the type of person that still likes to touch things, ride things, um, try things out at a dealership before I'm actually making my purchase. So there's that value for the dealer as well. But you know, that dealership could be a great stocking location that if I'm going to the manufacturer's website to order something and um, it's available in a warehouse, which is a dealer warehouse near me, it could be very easy to ship that good to me from that dealer warehouse. So there's so many, uh, I think, beautiful advantages to having that uh, distribution network that we have to overcome the thought that because a, an equipment manufacturer builds an e-store that now we're competing against each other. That shouldn't be that dilemma, that, that dealer dilemma that we talk about or that channel conflict, we have to overcome that because we should all be winning in that situation. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can certainly see, and there's no question there's some merit to the argument that the rising tide lifts all boats, you know, and, um, and not to get too Atlantic Canadian on our audience. <laughs> Whew. Highest highs in the world, ladies and gentlemen. Um, anyway, uh, but uh, but I, I think that you know where the rubber meets the road is in who owns the relationships in some way, and I think that that's where the distributor dealers start to get a little concerned. Um, uh, so I, I I feel like the not that there isn't wisdom in everything you said, Chris, but the real uh, piece that stood out to me was uh, that that notion of um, you know, as you start to look at, um, you know, order online from the manufacturer, pick up at the dealer, those kinds of situations, those are going to enable a, a lot more uh, customer um, data sharing in that network and and visibility about that customer relationship and, and, and uh, would drive that uh, a bit of a data advantage to both the dealer and the, the manufacturer. And, and, and I think when we get to that situation, it feels to me like we're getting closer to truly navigating the conflict inherent in all this. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with anything you've said there. I think, um, especially as marketers, right? 
what you do with that information to maintain the relationship and bring people back to your brand to ensure that they're coming back to purchase from you. Um, somebody needs to be responsible for that relationship. And the question becomes, is that for, a, for an OEM, again, in this self-service world, is that the OEM's job or each individual distributor in their localized area to do that? And can they manage that sufficiently in a way that truly does uh, ensure that both that manufacturer and, and the distribution network win out in the future? Um, I happen to believe that there's so much data that you get when you open an e-store that you'll never get if you don't. And the ways in which you can market um, and, and maintain a relationship with your customer are so very important. So if you do nothing and your distrib distributor channel does nothing, then you're missing out on all of that information. But it becomes, the question becomes, who's responsible for that? Um, and I think in this age of self-service, somebody has to answer that question. And I think it will be harder for brands to rely on their distribution networks to do it consistently for what's expected at that brand level. So there has to be some sharing. Yeah, and, and I mean, at the distribution level, in the dealer level, you have a way of, a, you know, a, a subject matter expertise and things of that nature that build up over time that allow them to navigate the complexity of the parts environment in a given manufacturer. But as new people come into those roles that aren't as sophisticated, they're going to lose that kind of um, uh, tribal knowledge, if you will. Um, yes. uh, and, uh, and it feels to me, and I kind of think this is what you're saying, is the manufacturers need to step up and take responsibility there and say, we're the ones that made this. We have the product data. We need to, and, and we're the ones that hold the the key to every piece of this, really. And 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 we need to be free freer about getting that out there to our um, uh, distribution and dealer networks because as you structure this information to present it online, it also makes it easier to share with them, so that yes. they can serve their customers better. Well, I think too. I mean, you know, one of the things that about this idea of a hybrid model where you have the e-commerce enabled by the manufacturer, but integrated fully with local stockers and local dealers and things like that. I mean, that makes a much more complex beast of a site that's going to be a lot harder to build and a lot harder to maintain and a lot more systems to integrate together. But it also helps, you know, part of the positive for that is that it can take some of the the marketing pain off the dealer's shoulders yeah. um, because you can say, look, we're, we'll manage that side of that and we'll direct people who are near you who are going to buy from you anyway, you know, especially new. Um, but we'll manage that relationship. We'll manage the marketing. We'll keep them informed about new product launches and all of that. And we'll be directing them to you. But, you know, at the end of the day, there the impediment there is just the the beast of a build that's going to be required in order to create a site that is going to power that kind of relationship. Sure. Yeah. There's no question that, you know, building the site and <laughs> it is the challenge, right? And that's why uh, manufacturers should be starting now, because if you don't start now, you could face a point where 
um, the onboarding and adoption of that self-service is is so high that you're left behind. And, mm. you know, you don't want the adoption rates to get that high and you haven't done anything about this and even have even helped your distributors be successful through this. So that distribution network, and that's why it's so valuable for them to come together. Um, I, I think there's a ton of value in the fact that all of these stores and these locations already exist. So in some ways, um, it can really prevent competitors in coming in to, because you know warehousing and delivery can be such a differentiator. So if you have localized repair shops, maintenance shops, and stocking available so that your turnaround uh, delivery times are that much faster, it really prevents new competitors from coming in and uh, can really make sure that you're leading the way with your own brand and, and you continue to maintain that, that success mark without losing market share. Yeah, similarly, uh, you know, almost the flip side of that is true in that you can deliver stuff to almost anywhere on the planet in a reasonably short period of time. And if somebody and in every one of these opportunities that you're talking about, the competitor uh, that's that's hanging out there, if they choose to do it first, if they choose to not even a competitor that doesn't have that level of dealer network or what have you, but they choose to create a better online experience. And, and actually cater to how people are self-serving, as, as you mentioned online, um, then uh, that competitive advantage can erode incredibly quickly. That's right. Yeah. Not to, not to sell out fear, uncertainty, and doubt here, but my goodness, you know. But, I mean, I think that's really part of it, right? And in, in selling this to manufacturers and, and getting them to help get their dealers on board, you know, giving them the ammunition that they need in order to be able to say, like, look, guys, like, this is how people want to buy this stuff now. Like, you can either get busy living or get busy dying, and we have to do this. Yeah. So, you know, this this is the research we have that shows what consumers want. This is the research we have with a younger buying demographic in, in manufacturing and in parts and in things like that. And bringing that story to them to give them the information to be able to go to their distributors and dealers and say, look, guys, like, Let's do this because if we don't, somebody's going to eat our lunch. That's right. Yeah. And expecting one or five or, or all dealers to do it individually, that <laughs> seems to me not to be the winning strategy, right? I mean, that is more challenging. Many of them are not going to do it to the, to the OEM standards in the first place. And then you have all of the rules around territories and where you can sell to, how, how will you manage that? So I do think it's on the manufacturers to take control of this, but to do it in a way where their, their uh, dealers believe everybody's benefiting. And that's why the conversation, that open communication is so very important and, and it needs to be happening. We, we can't say it's a conflict. The best are having these conversations they're bringing out the best in their dealer network, and then they're taking all of that great information they have internally and making it available online so that that information is breaking down the barriers to buy. And that's the key. And as you mentioned, those manufacturers are the ones that are choosing to do this and have those tough conversations and navigate these waters on the back end of that. Not only is there more market share and brand strength, but there's... Um, there's a wealth of data that they wouldn't otherwise have access to. You got it. Um, and I, I know, and, and I've certainly seen that. And um, but I'm curious because uh, part of that 
wealth of data, uh, of course, simply just helps you um, uh, administer a profitable e-commerce experience. Um, I'm curious, what are the other uses of that data that you've seen? What are the, you know, is there something that stands out to you where you're like, man, uh, you know, this company would not have known about this trend or have not have seen this happening within their um, a customer set had it not been for having an online presence? Yeah. You know, it's hard for me to pick out any piece of data that doesn't ultimately lead to more sales because that that's what's happening in the channel. But I think that, you know, initially understanding if you're even getting traffic and who that traffic is can be very revealing, right? So when a manufacturer or distributor opens up a, a store, and some come and some do not, there's information in that, right? Um, who's not coming and why are they not coming and how do we get them there? Um, there could be an expectation of who would have come first and they didn't come. So why didn't they come? And it could reveal something about your brand. Uh, it could reveal something about your information and the way that you've even communicated that you have a tool, right? So even that very, that visitor, uh, pre, you know, presence of coming to your site to even check it out and, and to potentially even search for a product is something that is, is revealing. The other thing is that because you get so much search data, I find also that it's revealing to understand what people search by um, and what you wouldn't think that they would search by because you're going to get search results and maybe that there is in fact no result because of what they're searching for. You didn't either put it on the, the store or you didn't think that they would search for it in that way. So that becomes very revealing to you as a business. It's an insight that you get to take back and say, hey, they're, they're mostly searching by vendor numbers. So we have vendor numbers stamped all over our products and that's the thing that they know. They don't, they don't know other things. That's just an example. But um, it could be search terms that you need to make sure are in your keywords that are also in your de uh, descriptions of things to make sure that those things are there. So um, what they're searching for and then what they're not searching for. I love the not stuff. I have to say for me, having run an aftermarket business before, what the hardest thing for me to all, I could always say, here's what people were buying and here's who was buying for me. But who, who was looking for information and didn't buy and what were they looking for or what didn't they even search for that I thought for sure they would look for this, but maybe they don't even know that we carry it. So now we get an opportunity to tell people that we do this, which is so very challenging to do through technical support and customer supports because everybody's so busy. So I love all of the things that, you know, data reveals about who's not coming and, and trying to uncover. That's where you can send your sales force to, to understand how are they still doing business that we need to make sure uh, we're managing well. Uh, and until they they come along this channel, or is there something that they fear that's not bringing them here that we need to overcome for them? Um, so that the things that they don't do, that's the stuff, or the people that don't come, that's where I always think the gold is is in the 
what's not there. That's brilliant. I love that. It always it reminds me a bit of uh, we built a, uh, a site for a set of car dealers about twenty years ago, and they all wanted to be known for pre-owned vehicles, oh. and everyone wanted to search for used cars, and <laughs> used they couldn't cars. understand why they weren't being found. Great example. So, like yeah. being able to dig into your search results and see, like, okay, these are all the things that people are looking for, and most of them aren't finding us as a result or aren't finding the thing they want. I mean, that is, there's gold. And I like the notion of who's not coming. And because what it kind of points to me is there's some, I think a lot of businesses kind of are, are can fall into this trap and they, they kind of get this, uh, maybe there's one customer that they know or that they like they, they think in their mind is prototypical. And as they build out a new initiative or they do something, they, they're thinking, well, this is going to be right up their alley. And then, like I say, you flick it live and they don't show up at all, but <laughs> this one, this one, and this one does. Right. And uh, yeah, that, that kind of recalibration is hard to otherwise come by. It's hard to get that little jolt in the behind. So, yeah, no, maybe I need to maybe I need to uh, rethink how I'm looking at this. Hmm. Right. Well, the the other piece of that also that is truly wonderful, and I think a lot of people don't even think to do what you're saying. You know, to look at your internal site search logs and see what's there. A lot of people tend to rely on, you know, what are the terms people use to find the site more globally or find the content more globally? But of course, Google Google, Google is obscuring most of that data. So if you can get the thing on your owned property, you know, that you have, that's part of the value of, as you were saying earlier, of having this e-commerce site that you control and that you can work with um, the data from. So it's, it's really powerful. Yeah, and you know, one thing that we didn't talk about with channel conflict, but what always comes up in discussions too is your sales team often will think of an e-commerce store as a conflict to their uh, potential ability to sell, right? So uh, we didn't talk too much about that, but certainly that exists. And what I like in analytics is understanding if my internal team is coming to the site and what they're doing on the site. Because if your internal team members, including your sales team, are not using your e-commerce platform and your tools and still logging all that data that they would be searching because a customer is asking them questions or something's happening. First, I would doubt, do they know how to use that tool? Are they most efficient with the client? Are they showing the client the new tools that we have? Because these tools are designed to make everybody's job easier. So, um, you know, I, I do think it is the ability to not just understand what customers are doing, but those internal customers or users as well. And there's so much valuable information in that and how you train, how you teach when you onboard. And, you know, because we do have this younger demographic who's coming in, who's more inclined to the, to use these tools. We wanna make sure we're getting the most out of the information so we can teach them properly uh, the best ways to use these tools, so. There's that too. I know that Jimmy in the back cubicle has no idea what any of our stuff is actually called and we need to let him go. <laughs> right. <laughs> Why does Jimmy always get it? I don't know. <laughs> we, we, we should bring Jimmy back in recurring episodes, kind of like, um, uh, oh my God, it's uh, escaping me. The, um, Kenny, that always, uh, oh, that always, yeah, yeah, on yeah, South Park. yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. South Park. It's, uh, <laughs> Jimmy always gets fired by the end of a cooler episode. <laughs> That's dark. Their new shtick. 
Uh-huh. Somebody tell Laura. <laughs> this is the new strategy. Oh my goodness! Well, look, Chris, this has been an absolute pleasure to to chat with you today and just um, uh, kind of unpack this. Uh, it's just been a wealth of uh, knowledge and information for for us and for our listeners. And I really want to thank you for sharing it with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, like I said, it's a real pleasure to talk to you guys. I love the show, so it's great to be a part of it. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Awesome. All the best. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring. <laughs>